on week three of our four-week series on Just Walk Across the Room. I wonder, have you put into practice yet anything of what's been talked about from the front on a Sunday? Maybe not, maybe so. I'm hoping today I'm going to give you something really practical to take away from this meeting that you can put immediately into practice. Today we're looking at the power of story. Bill Hybels, if I had to sum up where we've got to over the last two weeks, the overall premise of this series, we can spend so long in church, in Christian community, that we become completely numb to all the people who don't know Jesus who are all around us. So it's encourage us to take a few steps towards them, to begin a friendship with them, with the view that you one day share the gospel with them. What an amazing privilege. Now, Bill has been really setting this out as um, it's Jesus' style to do this. So we've seen through the Gospels that Jesus, time and time again, took the um, initiative to walk towards people who don't know him. We've seen like the story that um, Pete shared a moment ago about Zacchaeus. So Jesus walks and he's, he's got his disciples around him and people are wanting to connect with him. And he sees Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree and he draws close. He says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I want to eat at your house today. Completely countercultural. At that point, Zacchaeus as a tax collector would be a sinner, would be seen as someone really on the edge of society, not someone that a holy man like Jesus would want to associate with. Yet Jesus took those steps towards him. When um, Jesus is in Samaria, he's, um, with, again, he's with the disciples and he's walking through Samaria. They um, want to go and get some food from a local town. And they see, um, or he spots a woman by the well and he decides, no, I'm not going to go with my disciples at that point with my Christian community. I'm going to go and spend some time with this woman by the well. So he goes and sits with her and you'll be familiar with the story that that unfolds. We know that when Jesus speaks, powerful, life-changing events happen. And that, I guess, what Bill has been holding up as we should be more like Jesus in that respect. So where do we go today? Well, we're looking at the power of story. Imagine for a moment that you're uh, on the tube You've, um, you're with a colleague from work. You've spent time together. You've, you've built up a friendship with them. Maybe you've, you've had chats while you've been at work or you've had a, a cup of coffee and a break. You're slowly getting to know them over time. And um, you ask them, so, what, what are you up to this weekend? And they say, well, um, to be honest, I haven't spent much time with my family, so we've, we've prioritized tomorrow. We're going to spend some time together as a family. And because you ask them, they ask you, what are you up to? And as part of you, your answer, you work in the fact that you're going to go to church. That is the easiest way to get church into the conversation, trust me. Either on a Monday morning, what did you do this weekend? Or on a Friday, what are you doing this weekend? At that moment, your friend, colleague, turns to you and looks you in the eye and says, oh, have you always been religious? Now you're in a situation, hang on, I, I was light conversation and suddenly it's it's maneuvered onto something of faith i've got to work out how to answer this and not only that you realize that the tube is about to pull into the next station so you've only got a very short amount of time this is exactly the situation i found myself in about nine years ago when i first moved to london i started on the the transport for london graduate scheme i started to know get to know some of the people i work with and literally as we were pulling into baker street i remember it now going north on the Jubilee line, the friend that I'd been, his name was Stefan, turned to me and asked me that very question. Now, this took me completely by surprise for two reasons. First of all, he had never asked me anything about religion before, 
And second, I realized I'd only got about 60 seconds before the tube pulled into the station where I knew he was getting off to come up with an answer. I began to sweat, panic, dripping wet, just like this guy here. He, he's trying to come up with an answer. I'm thinking 60 seconds. How, how am I going to come up with a coherent answer to this question? Because at this point, it's not often that someone far from God asks you, Effectively, he's asking, why are you a Christian? Why is the faith important to you? Have you always been religious? Have you always gone to church? Those kinds of questions. So I had to quickly come up with an answer. I'm very sorry to say that I rambled. I drew from any kind of um, thought that was coming into my mind. And if you put the next picture up, you'd just see it was just like this. It was a, it was a smash, <laughs> a complete smash. I... I'm this guy here, desperately trying to get back on the cart. I'm in this situation. How am I going to steer this to a good conclusion? So, 60 seconds. I wonder. That'll just keep looping. It's great, isn't it? Um, I wonder. If someone asked you, why do you go to church? Or have you always been religious? What would be the next words out of your mouth? Are you prepared for that question? Because if anything, this series is setting us up to have more of those types of conversations. So today, I want to look at what would you say in the 60 seconds as a response if one of your friends asked you, why do you go to church? Uh, 1 Peter 3.15 says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. So very clearly, we see here that God wants us to be prepared. This shouldn't be an off-the-cuff, I'm making this up in the moment. If you think through now, you'll be more prepared to answer when that question comes. So look to Jesus, let's quickly look at the Apostle Paul. What I love about the Apostle Paul is, I mean, he wrote half of the New Testament. He had God, like, downloading, literally doctrine to his mind. He could have answered any question with you know, chapters of Romans, because he wrote it. If someone asked him about faith and grace and how it connects to the Old Testament, he'd have all this material at hand. Yet, time and time again, we see that the way Paul responds to questions is to tell his own story. Effectively, even in times when his life is on the line. So there's a scene in Acts 22 where he's found himself um, surrounded by angry Jews because they are... um, they're accusing him of bringing Greeks into the temple or into um, the, the holy place. And it's not true, but anyway, um, Paul, instead of sitting down with them and, saying, uh, and explaining how the old covenant from Abraham and you know, the Jewish kind of, what you'd expect him to say to a Jewish crowd, he starts speaking in Aramaic, which shuts them up pretty quickly, and then explains his story. He says, you know what, I was just like you. I was trying to kill Christians. I was zealous for God, but then Jesus found me. And that story was so powerful. And, well, we know he, he wasn't killed, so it obviously worked. Um, so this, this idea of you've got 60 seconds. So I've called this section Gone in 60 Seconds because literally the moment comes and something could come along at any moment to interrupt that interaction with your friend. It could be a mobile phone rings. It could be someone else comes over into the conversation. Just life moves really quickly. So how do you respond? Sincerely, compellingly, succinctly. 
in a, in a really clear way so that your friend understands why you go to church, why you have a faith. Now, I'm going to deliberately spring something on you that you're not going to like. I'm going to ask you to get into pairs in a moment. I can see the look on your faces. I'm like, yes, this is a bit of a surprise. And it could be a surprise because, I'm, you know, I'm, as I'm aware, we've never asked in a sermon to do this before. So you weren't really expecting this to come. So what I'm trying to do is, is introduce a real-world scenario. Suddenly, you're faced with the prospect of explaining your story to the person sitting next to you in 60 seconds. So we're going to see how this goes. So all of the um, people on the, uh, or nearest that wall, when you get into your pair, your number A, you get to ask the question, um, oh, have you always been religious? Everyone who's nearest this wall on the right will have a go at answering that question. And because there might be some people here who's next to a complete stranger this morning, I'm going to give you a few moments to introduce yourself first, and then you're going to go for it. Now, if, if you're sitting here and you think, actually, I don't have a faith story because you're, you're still investigating Jesus, that's completely fine. Just find another pair and listen to their stories. Um, similarly, if you're completely on your own when the pairs come together, again, just find another pair and listen to their stories. I want to make this as easy as possible, but take a risk and have a go. So I'm going to give you 15 seconds to find a pair, and then we're going to have a go. 60 seconds. So the person who's that wall asks the question. person on the right has a go at answering it. 15 seconds. Go. Okay, 60 seconds starts now. Okay, stop. That wasn't very long at all, was it? Put your hand in the air. If you you did a really good job of explaining your story. You absolutely nailed it. Oh, a couple over here. Put your hand in the air then if you feel there's room for improvement to what you had to say. Great. I'm hoping that Teal this morning will speak into that. Um, let's just review that. It was probably embarrassing and traumatic for two reasons. The first reason is you weren't expecting it. Let's face it. There's a reason that my friend Stefan asked me about church 60 seconds before he knew he was getting off the tube at Baker Street. That's because if I started to get weird, there was a clear exit strategy. Your friend knows exactly what they're doing when they ask you. Second of all, it was you weren't prepared, but also the time was really short. So you didn't have long to um, respond to your friend. And it's actually a challenge to get a coherent story into that 60 seconds. I'm afraid we're only halfway through. Let's turn it around. Now, the person who asked the question last time asked the question this time, and we're all going to have another go. So you ready? Your 60 seconds starts now. And your time's up now. Great. So I hope that's kind of brought it home, the challenge of fitting your story into just 60 seconds. Part of the reason we're taking the whole church through this book is we want to equip you with a really great, winsome story so that when people ask you about your faith, you know exactly what to say back. You're ready for that moment. And it's one of those things is the more prepared you get, the more opportunities to speak that you seem to get bumped into. Because the conversation naturally manoeuvres in that direction. 
Now, Bill, he's got some criticisms of um, some of the stories which people have told him over the years. Um, he travels quite a lot. So he often finds himself in an airport departure lounge sitting next to someone. And because he, he puts into practice what's in this book and opens up conversations with strangers, if they happen to be a Christian, they think, great, this is easy. Someone's opening up a conversation with me. I'm going to start sharing my testimony back, not knowing who Bill Hybels is. So Bill has listened to a lot of stories over the years. And these are his, um, his top tips or his top criticisms that we can turn into positives for how to shape your story. The top one. This is the one which he says in almost every situation people get wrong. It's just too long. Now, if we tell our story briefly, what happens is we give the confidence to our non-Christian friends that they're still in control of the situation. This conversation is not suddenly become one-sided where we've seen an opportunity to get as much content out as possible, but they can ask a follow-up question. Them in the driver's seat. It puts them confidence in, in, the, in where the conversation is going. And you end up having, ironically, a longer conversation with them rather than a shorter conversation. So one of Bill's tips is to keep it to the 60 seconds and look for a way for them to ask a follow-up question. Second, he says they're too fuzzy. Fuzzy. What he means by that is they've got loads of different plot lines. There's different situations you've talked about. In fact, let me read Bill's words. This is how Bill describes it. Here's a common occurrence. I'll ask, how did you become, how did you become to a faith in Christ? And in response, I hear half a dozen plot lines, about 16 main characters. I hear the books they've read, supernatural situations they have experienced, and conferences they have attended 12 years ago, aisles they have walked, angels have appeared in their bedroom, dead relatives they have talked to in the middle of the night. You get the idea. Keep your story simple. And we'll look at a framework for that in a few moments. Third criticism, too religious. Man, we Christians, we love to roll out the Christianese, don't we? Any situation. My favorite phrase, um, let me just find it. Um, in fact, I haven't wrote it down. I'll just say it. So I, I found a personal relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, what does that actually mean to a non-Christian? Not much. But we love to roll that out. And there's a whole load of, we talk about salvation and redemption and, and all these lovely words that in the club, we know what means. But to our friends, they don't actually mean anything. So we need to speak in such a way that they get and they understand. They should turn around at the end of the 60 seconds and be able to say, you know what, I understood every word of what you just said to me. They might not agree. They might not say it's for me. But they should come to a place that they understand what you're saying. Fourth criticism too arrogant. Again, phrases like, this is what you just need to know. I've got the special knowledge and you need to hear it from me. That kind of uh, language, that kind of way of delivering it just turns people off immediately. We need to come humbly. We need to come um, with a real uh, just gracefulness uh, to how we communicate our story. My favorite one, number five, too weird. Yes, we love to go weird. We've all got a weird God story. Now, I'm not saying the supernatural isn't important. We know it is. We love when God speaks to us. And we, often we can pray for, we want to see more of the supernatural in our life. What I'm saying is 
This is not the thing to lead with in your 60 seconds. So Bill Hybels tells this story of a guy. And he sat next to her again in a, an airport departure lounge and uh, begins to, to, to tell his faith story. And says, you know what? One night in the middle of the night, God woke me up and I looked at the, the digital alarm clock and it was 2.22 a.m. The next night, same thing happened. Middle of the night, God woke me up and I looked at the digital alarm clock. It was 3.33 a.m. As you know what? The third night, God woke me up and at this point, Bill Hybels jumps in and goes, it's 4.44 a.m., wasn't it? Said, yes, exactly. That's weird. You're not going to win someone to, to Christ by sharing that kind of story. Now, again, you might have, it's like God's healed you in a dramatic way. You might have um, stories of where you've seen angels, you've, you've had experiences which would come under the supernatural, and they can come through in time. But that is not the stuff to include in your 60 seconds. Keep it real. Keep it down to earth. And talk about how Jesus has changed your life. And we'll come on to that. If you do that, story is very powerful. We need to keep them brief. We need to keep them clear. And we need to use common language. And we need to humbly deliver them without the weirdness. So, I wanted to show you an example of uh, someone that I think has done a good job explaining their story. So, I phoned my friend Isaac. He's also known as uh, Governor B. He's like a rap artist. Um, I filmed a little video and it's... Now, it's two minutes, not 60 seconds. I felt we, we could go a little bit further because um, he's got a really interesting story, as you'll see. But this is two minutes of Governor B explaining his story. Hello, mate. My name is Governor B, and this is a bit about my story. I grew up on a council estate in East London. You know that kid in school who thought he was a bit of a gangster, but really he wasn't? Yeah, that was me. And I started getting in trouble, getting suspended, and I ended up being expelled from school four times. And I wasn't a bad guy, just a bit of a cheeky guy that got myself into trouble every now and again. At the same time, I went to church with my family every week, pretending that I was all good. So I was kind of living this strange double life, not fully bad, but not fully good kind of in between. My youth leader found out about what was happening at school and he said, you know what, I'm not even going to tell you off. If you want to be bad, make sure you're the baddest you can be. And if you want to be good, make sure you're the best you can be. So I decided to fix up and start living for Jesus. And since then, I've never turned back. I'd always been into rapping, mainly clashing or rap battles in the playground with other rappers. I'd be like, Yo, I went to your mum's flat and I saw your mum's flat, bruv. And they'd be like, what? You're not above me. Your granddad's ugly. And we'd say something like that to each other. And whoever said the funniest thing or the most offensive thing wins the battle. And I always won because I was pretty offensive. When I decided to live for Jesus, I realised that I also needed to change the words that came out of my mouth. I didn't want only negativity to come out of my mouth, so I decided to put my faith into music. And that's when it really started to take off for me. I did an album, won a few awards off the back of it and stuff like that. I got to perform at the Hackney Empire, the O2 Arena, and I appeared on Radio 1's Crib Sessions with DJ Tim Westwood. And things were good. 
but success and more recognition comes with its own challenges. When I won a MOBA Awards, I remember looking around the room at all these incredibly gifted artists there and thinking, it doesn't get better than this. But then you look closer and you realise that actually some of the most successful people aren't really that happy. I get my satisfaction from God. I love working in the music industry, but it doesn't define me. Jesus does. That's why I give him the glory through my lyrics and my music. Great, so you get the idea. What Isaac did there is tell this difference that Jesus has made in his life in a very easy-to-understand, compelling story. Now, that's two minutes. You might have two minutes. You might have 60 seconds. You might have 30 seconds. We don't know. But the idea is, can you get it down to a really simple framework? So you've got somewhere to go when someone asks you that question. So a framework for you. Two words. So this is what we're going to spend um, the remainder of our time this morning on. Um, as a verse, we're just going to anchor this on 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The, the verse which um, Rachel read earlier with, uh, about Colossians talked about Jesus making all things new. If you're a Christian sat here today, this verse is about you. You've got things that were old that have been made new. And in between, Jesus sits. And it's all about him. He's the fulcrum between the old and the new. We've all got that story. Even if you were raised in a Christian home and you haven't got one of these testimonies which, you know, you got a thousand day, a thousand dollar day crack habit where you were, were you know, grown up in the, um, raised by wolves in the woods and, and one day um, in prison, um, Jesus appeared to you in your cell. You know, that kind of story it doesn't matter. We've all got something where God has transformed us from the old into the new. So let me give you two pretty rubbish analogies, but go with it. You'll, you'll see where we're going. So if I, if I was to say to you, I'm on the, the raw food diet, well, not me, maybe, maybe one of you are on it. Um, your friend, let's say you said that to your friend, your friend would want to know a few things. Firstly, did the diet work? What has been the results? Was the gain worth the pain that you went through? Because if, if you had to drink carrot juice for a whole year, and that was the diet, then I think, no, thank you, that's not for me. Um, if I was to say to you, uh, I've been seeing a new counsellor, and they've really helped me with some things, um, again, your friend might say to you, why are you seeing a counsellor? Why did you feel that you, want, you wanted to do that? What difference has it made in your life, and ultimately, how much did it cost? Because if it was, I know, 50 pounds an hour, they might think, no, that's not for me. Now, why am I, why am I saying these trivial examples? Well, the truth is, your non-Christian friends see church in the same category as those things. They see it as a self-help route to feeling better about yourself. And um, if, we, if we don't communicate the difference that Jesus has made in your life, it stays as that. It's something for you and not for me. So explaining the, the what and the why and the how is really important in communicating your story. Um, your friend doesn't have a burning desire to come to church. It's not something that they're sitting there thinking, probably thinking, I just wish someone would invite me to church. This is something that they're asking you about out of politeness, out of relationship with you. Maybe out of 
a curiosity and an interest. But we have to do the work to provoke an interest in them in the story that you tell. So by the end of your 60 seconds, you should have provoked enough interest to communicate how Jesus made a difference in your life that they want to ask a follow-up question. Um, so let's look at a couple of examples in the Bible. So, what the, sorry, the framework I should explain. We're looking for two words. We're looking for one word which describes your old life and one word that describes your new life. And your 60 seconds should focus around just those two things. You explain the old and you explain the new and explain how Jesus has transformed your life. Really simple. Let's look at a few biblical examples of where people's lives were transformed. Firstly, the adulterous woman. Remember, Jesus um, walks into a scene where there's a woman who has been caught in adultery. She's about to be stoned by the Pharisees and a crowd who are outside. And they rather mischievously throw this question to Jesus and um, are trying to catch him out. You know, what should we do here? And Jesus um, says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. The crowd disappears. He beautifully uh, brings the situation to a place of grace. And he then looks at the woman and says, neither, neither do I condemn you. And at that point, so if you had to use a word to sum up this woman's life before, it could be shame. Shame is an external thing rather than guilt is an internal thing. Shame because the crowd are looking at her and pointing at her, and this is a very public deal for her. So actually Jesus brings her through to a place of honor. Shame to honor. It's really powerful. Zacchaeus, again, he was living for money. He loved um, scamming people out of money and um, using his riches for his own purposes. Um, the word that you could use to describe Zacchaeus pre-Jesus is greed. He's riddled with it. It shapes his life. Yet, through that encounter with Jesus, he turns into this generous person. He gives away half of his money. He commits his life to helping the poor. He's transformed overnight. So greed to generosity. Let's look at the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul would say um, self-righteousness was a word which summed up his life pre-Jesus. He loved to go and find and kill Christians who, in his opinion, were not living the way that God wanted them to live. He was very proud and he thought he had the answers. Yet through an encounter with Christ, he was completely humbled. We know that he was blind for a season and just kind of brought him to his knees. And um, we know the life of Paul was completely transformed from that point on. He stopped killing Christians, and people tried to kill him instead. But the word humility would sum up the second part of his life. Now, how about our friend? What's his story? So let me just read a section from the book. Somehow, when I was growing up, I got the idea that I could gain God's acceptance by spiritual striving. It was all about spiritual performance, earning, meriting, trying to impress God. I met Jesus at a summer camp when I was 17 years old, and I found out that it was a gift, acceptance from God as a gift, a gift made available for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I found it is free for the asking. That's Bill's story. So you can see we've all got a story of how Jesus has changed our lives. We could come up with one word, on the, left, on the left-hand column that describes our before, and we come up with one word that describes our after. What we need to do is, in 60 seconds, turn that into a simple, compelling story that communicates the before and after. It sounds simple, but as we know, we've had a go. It is more difficult than that. And the more we practice, 
the better we get. So, this is here's a few more words just to kind of help you. These aren't based on stories. Left-hand column, fear. Right-hand column, confidence. Left-hand column, arrogance. Right-hand column, servanthood. Left-hand column, aloneness. Right-hand column, adopted. Left-hand column, guilt. Right-hand column, forgiveness. We've all got a story. All our words will be different, and that's okay. So this is what I want to do this week. We can't just leave it there. We have to practice this. We have to turn it into something that we've got maybe written down that we can refer to. So in community groups this week, what I'd love to do as part of kind of the word response, you know, in community groups we'd often talk about the sermon. This week I'd love to do something practical about the sermon. And I want you to come to group this week with your two words and then a blank sheet of paper and a pen. And for 20 minutes, sit down and write out your story in 100 words. And then we're just going to turn to someone else in the group who we trust. They'll look at your story and help shape it for you because they'll see things that you miss because it's your story. And by the end of the night, my hope and dream is you walk away from community group this with your story. So you're already to share that with people who don't know Jesus. And then when you're on the tube and your friend asks you, oh, have you always been religious? You've got a place to go to. You know, oh yeah, okay, I've got my two words. I've practiced this. And in 60 seconds, you give them a response that will bring them closer to Jesus. That is the dream. I, I looked at the room this morning and the sound desk has moved to the back and we've now got more room in this, in this building. There's empty seats next to each one of you. There's space at the back. You know that the real encouraging thing about this is? There will be people sitting in those seats taking up the space towards the back of the room that join us as a result of you sharing your story with them. It's not a, it might happen, it will happen. Because there's power in the gospel. There's power in your story. And as we step out and we walk towards people, these seats will fill up. And that is the dream. Imagine the privilege of standing in heaven with people that you've shared your story with and are there as a result of you helping them towards God. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the conversion, but we get to be part of it. And that is an amazing privilege. That's where we're going. That's what we have to look forward to over the coming years here at Redeemer. So, it's 5-2, but I just want to share one story. I, I realise I haven't really shared many personal stories, so I'm just going to share one just to close. And this is, I, I don't know, the Holy Spirit just prompted me about this story, so I'm hoping it speaks to someone in this room. I'm going to tell you about my friend Alex. I first met Alex about um, seven years ago. He turned up to the, the church that me and Shelley were part of before Redeemer um, as part of an internet date. He was dressed head to foot in a white suit, he had a cane in his hand. He was quite a character when, when you met Alex. And he announced on the door as he arrived that he was there to meet his internet date. Now, as it transpired, um, his internet date didn't, didn't appear. Um, so he found himself um, at church on a Sunday, which is completely unusual for him. But he thought it was interesting, so he'd go along. He stays for the service. In fact, this could be quite a good evangelistic tactic. So anyone who wants to hit online forums, invite people to Redeemer. No, don't do that. Um, <laughs> maybe. Um, so Alex, um, to cut a long story short, he was coming 
And if his um, word on the left-hand side of the screen was loneliness, he hadn't found his, his uh, partner or community or friendship group. He was just longing to find friendship. Now, Alex had a lot of problems. He, um, he was a schizophrenic. He was on medication. It made it really difficult for him to fit into to church life, to be honest. Um, he went along to community groups, and they said they didn't want him. Um, it was really difficult to help him integrate into church, but we persevered. And many people got a chance to share their story with him. And he became a Christian in his own way. Because I'm not sure if he fully understood everything about God. Who does? But he had a personal relationship with Jesus. There's many stories I could tell you about Alex. Um, There was one time he stopped taking his medication and um, he ended up in a psychiatric ward. Um, He invited me to go along to see him and I went to visit him. And I walked in the room, Adam, I've got some great news. I've got all the inmates, patients, together in a room and you're going to share the gospel with them. Talk about sweating and panic. Um, <laughs> so he, the transformation in his life was so powerful. Seeing where he'd come from and where he ended up. Now, the, the real tragedy is he unfortunately died a few years ago. He, he was hit, um, hit and run, took his life early. And I remember getting the phone call at two in the morning to, to tell me this had happened. But... I know he's now in heaven. As a result of people, it wasn't just me, there's lots of people who sacrificially, again, he's now in heaven. And I tell you what, I want more of those stories before I go to heaven. And I want to have as many people around me in heaven who I can say I've played a small part in their journey to faith. That's the vision. That's why we do this. That's why we're working through this book because we know it's so important. It's just a useful tool to do it. So perhaps the band like to come back up I want to pray for us as we finish. And Father, we want to have many, many stories of people who've come to know you through us sharing our story with them. Jesus, we declare it is all about you. You are the one who takes the old and transforms it into being the new. You've changed our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. You are the the, the one who transforms all things. And as Rachel read out those verses, or you're the one who reconciles the whole of the universe being back in relationship with you. And that is amazing, and we want to share our story. We pray for courage. We pray for boldness. We pray for us walking towards unbelievers in the work setting, in our, in our families, um, in our friendship groups, Lord. We want many, many more stories because it's the best gift that we can give people. In your name, amen.